You're listening to Design Tomorrow. Do you think about the future? Like, a lot? Most of us do. But what does it look like or feel like to you to think about it? The emotional experience of thinking about the future might be a good indicator of whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. But regardless of which you are, I do wonder, is thinking about the future useful? Does thinking about the future actually help us to make one that's better? Or are we just slaves to destiny, helplessly hurtling toward a future we have no power to envision or shape? That's what this episode is all about. Today, I want to talk about the future. Not a specific future, but the possibility of one, and what it means to envision the future practically, in a way that both shapes our present and ensures progress. Which is, after all, what this show is all about. You're listening to Design Tomorrow. I'm Chris Butler. Stay tuned. Design Tomorrow is a podcast about design, technology, and being human. Which, admittedly, is a lot to be about. But in all things, we hope to grow in our awareness that what we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. You can follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Design Tomorrow. Just leave all the vowels out. So that's at D-S-G-N-T-M-R-R-W. You can also visit the show's website at designtomorrow.co and if you want to get in touch directly, you can email me at chris at designtomorrow.co. I'd love to hear from you. And now, let's get back to the show. A few days after my wedding reception, I took several bottles of leftover wine and tied a simple label to each one with some string. On each label, I inscribed a date. The first was just one year away. I imagined my wife and I opening that bottle on our first anniversary, perhaps right there in the kitchen where I stood. I imagined food cooking. I imagined our dog and our cat who are always in the periphery when we're in the kitchen standing nearby, hopeful for a morsel of something. I imagined music playing. We're happy, just as we are today. On the second label... I wrote a date five years into the future. As I fastened it to the bottle, I wondered what might be different then. Would we still live here? Would we be more than just she and I? Would we be less? On the third label, I wrote a date ten years into the future. 
Now that I'm in my 30s and can trace back that far and still find myself an adult, I find thinking in decades much, much easier. Well, functionally anyway, but not emotionally. Not yet. Ten years still scares me. A decade, as I've soberly discovered, can pass by so quickly. And yet, it can contain so much. Joys and sorrows. Surprises. Standing in the kitchen that day, I imagined that ten years into the future, whole people who did not exist then could be living and learning and imagining time for themselves. I imagined that some of them might look a lot like my wife and I and call us mom and dad. I imagined that ten years in the future, people who are here today could be gone. People I love. People I wish could be with me forever. I could be among them. All in just ten years. And that label I tied on slowly. Then I wrote the fourth date, and I stared. 2035. Ten years is sobering, but possible. It's scary, but not terrifying, if that distinction even makes sense. But twenty years. When I wrote that date on the label, twenty years prior was 1995. I was fifteen. I can remember that age very clearly. But it still seems a different lifetime. Twenty years ahead seemed the same. But now, just three years later, it doesn't anymore. Twenty years ago today, I was eighteen. Just three years older, but somehow that doesn't seem nearly that far away. Perhaps it has something to do with the kind of aging we experience going from teenager to adult. Three years ago, 20 years ahead seemed unimaginable. Today, well, I can imagine it just fine. But back to that evening with the wine. As I tied on that last label, I started to suddenly feel vulnerable. I imagined a lightning bolt hurtled toward me. A penalty for the hubris of even imagining I'd be around to uncork them later. What began as a simple idea for celebrating future anniversaries became almost an act of desperate prayer. Hopeful, but frightening. Done alone, in silence, and with fear and trembling. Let there be a future, I thought. But thy will be done. And yet, at the same time, I also thought, this is no way to think about the future. To plan and then recoil at the thought because what if it's too far? And who am I to presume anything? To imagine I might be denied a future, simply for having the audacity to dream of one? I don't actually believe that, do I? No, I don't. Fearfully, is no way to think about the future. I believe that, but I need to be reminded every now and then. The future is indeed out of our hands. There are things that will happen 
over which we have no control at all. They will happen with or without us, all around us, and to us. But there are also things that will happen because of us, things that only we make possible. Both things are true, and we live in the space between them. And so we must plan for the future while accepting that our plans might come to nothing. But they will never be meaningless. When it comes to thinking about the future, the plans really are everything. They are more powerful than even the future itself. At my day job, we run on something called traction. Traction is the name of a book written by Gino Wickman, a name you might recognize if you're familiar with the Strategic Coach program. Traction is also something of a manifesto and a manual for what Gino calls an entrepreneurial operating system. At its very core, Traction is a system for managing growth and progress in an organization. It ensures that the right people are doing the right things at the right times, always moving forward toward a clearly identified goal known and shared by all. Now, I can't cover traction in much more detail here, but I do recommend the book. If you and your team struggle with making progress or even agreeing on what sort of progress should be made, traction might be a good fit for you. But most importantly, traction has taught our team the value of goal setting. Goal setting is really the lifeblood of the traction approach. We set weekly, quarterly, and yearly goals, as well as envision a three-year picture and a 10-year target. One way of looking at traction is that it teaches you to become almost addicted to goal setting in the best possible way, which means we're constantly thinking about the future. Now, envisioning a week or a quarter or even a year is just not that difficult. Time moves so quickly that the challenge isn't envisioning a year. It's getting things done within one. But setting a goal like a 10-year target is a serious challenge, and it is so because of the distance. 10 years is a lifetime for a business, so you can imagine that thinking about a 10-year target has taken some getting used to. At one of our quarterly planning meetings, each of us on our leadership team took some time to describe a possible 10-year target. After this exercise, we gathered back together and we shared what we'd written with one another. And at first, it was strange. It was awkward, really. It was almost like wearing someone else's clothing. It almost felt childish or ridiculous to share these ideas with each other. Especially the first time, I could sense that we were all holding back. We were afraid to sound absurd when we described flying around in our headquarters in jetpacks. I'm kidding, obviously, but the fear of sounding silly or looking stupid or being wrong was palpable. But as we've practiced it, thinking and articulating a specific and measurable scenario for the firm in 10 years, it's begun to feel more natural and It's done its job of, as Gina Wickman wrote, igniting passion, excitement, and energy for every single person within the organization. Setting a 10-year target is like following the yellow brick road to the Emerald City. Follow the yellow brick road? 
Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. When you first set out, you can barely see the city far off in the distance. It's just a fuzzy, glowing, green lump on the horizon. But what you can't see with your eyes, you fill in with your imagination. In your mind, you see the city in all its splendor. You see the buildings, the roads, the bridges and arches. You see people coming and going. You see every radiant brick. But with each step you take along the yellow brick road, the distance between you and the Emerald City shrinks. The closer you get, the better you can see the actual city. Its detail replaces your imagination. As you near the gates and the city fills the horizon, virtually everything you imagined is replaced by what is. If the city is the future, then the walk to it is life. But setting a 10-year target is like making that journey and never reaching the Emerald City. It's always a 10-year target. If we set one this year, it doesn't become our 9-year target next year, and our 8-year target the year after, and so on, until we arrive there at our target 10 years later. A 10-year target is a permanent 10-year scope. It's the hazy Emerald City in the distance forever. The one that catalyzes our imaginations and ignites our passions. The purpose of the 10-year target is the power it brings to now, not how accurately it predicts a day a decade from now. This little mental exercise shows that thinking about the future is not an act of management, of knowing things and arranging them and being right. Instead, it's an act of inspiration. It's about active imagination. And as it turns out, saving those bottles of wine is exactly how to think about the future. Fearing I might not be around to drink them is not. They're a symbol of hope for the beginning of a new stage of life, for the endurance and maturation of love, for a future. When I think of them, I think of what will be. Even now, I can picture them stacked in the dark at the back of a low cabinet in our kitchen and imagine an older me kneeling down, taking one out, dusting it off, and opening it in a world molded by time into someplace I do not yet know. I hope to do that, but I also accept that I may not. It's the former idea that I will be there, that I will grant the license and power to provoke action from me. In other words, I want to be there 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and beyond. And so, I'm going to act accordingly. It's the same logic behind maxing out your 401k, or making a mortgage payment, planting a tree, or raising a child. In fact, three years ago, When I made those labels, 
I imagined a future in which people not yet born would be making a world for themselves. Well, that future is here. A year and a half later, we welcomed our daughter into the world. And her very existence ensures that I take those 10-year targets seriously. She's the very embodiment of them. Whether an imagined future comes to be is not nearly as important as its backward echo. Its very possibility shapes the present. And even if what you imagine never comes to be, the future that does never could have been without it. Well, friends, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Design Tomorrow. If you did, find the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give it a rating and a review. My 10-year target for this show is that it still exists and has become something bigger than me. But that won't happen without you. Help me create that future. Tell someone about the show, either directly or through a review. I really appreciate your support. Meanwhile, I'd always love to hear your feedback. What do you like about this show? What don't you? You can email me at chris at designtomorrow.co or you can tweet me at designtomorrow. Again, that's at D-S-G-N-T-M-R-R-W. If I don't hear from you, thanks for listening. And remember, what we do and think today can create a better tomorrow. See you then. Welcome to the secret society of the Lynx. May the gods of the web bless you with many riches. Okay, so if you're new to the show, what I do here after the credits is I'm going to read a bunch of links, which, if you want to click them, can be found in the show notes below the player. Here we go. Number one. A Washington Post quiz asks, Can we guess your age and income solely by the apps on your phone? Well, I discovered the answer is no, apparently, because I am, with much gratitude, not a single guy, younger than 32, who makes less than $52,000 a year. But that's probably because I answered no to every single app listed but Google Maps. I like to keep my phone fairly minimal. Number two, a Swedish guy made a music machine powered by 2,000 marbles. You've got to see this thing. Number three. Have you ever seen Chris Marker's short film, La Jetée? Did you know that it was the source material for the movie Twelve Monkeys? Well, author William Gibson reflects on the influence that Marker's film had on his work. Number four, how to take a photo with a piece of paper is something you can read all about in Kelly Anderson's awesome newsletter. Number five, this extensive archive of a certain 1950s television show was obviously created just for my mom. Yes, Mom, you. I'll give you a hint. The curator's username is Collie Lover. Number six. 
There is no shortage of books you can buy if you're looking for graphic design inspiration. And you know, some of them are fine. Most of them, though, I think are a total waste of time. So don't buy them. Instead, buy a copy of The Image of the City by Kevin Lynch. This book is a classic text about how city planners visualize the city before and after shaping it. I find that things like that, based in the real working world, are much more inspirational than just looking at other graphic designers' output. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. See you next time.